And so it's not enough just to talk about the spirit. We must also talk about matter and taking care of our bodies. And so this whole Daniel Plan series, if you've been, um, if you've been uh, making a commitment to exercise more or eat more vegetables, for me, uh, I made a commitment to eat more vegetables. That was kind of shot to pieces last week. I will make a public confession. I've sinned. You know, I, was, I went camping with my family last week. The last place you're going to eat vegetables is when you are camping. So I ate all kinds of unhealthy stuff. But my commitment is to make up for it with an extra week after Lent is over. Actually, not, that's not true. Um, the experience that I've been having so far has been very positive. I feel uh, healthier. I feel cleaner. Well, before I went camping. And I feel, um, I feel like my taste buds have come back to life. I can taste salty again. I can taste sweet again. I don't really need the really strong salt or sweet. And so I'm experiencing, I guess, this kind of detox that I'm committed to, not just for the remainder of Lent and for the series. I'm committed to in an ongoing, long-term way. Um, for me, taking care of my body is very much an important part of my ministry. Um, on average, I will run between 8 to 10 miles a week, which is not a lot. Um, I drink about 8 to 12 cups of water a day, so I just want to make sure I practice what I preach um, because taking care of our bodies is part of taking care of our spirits as well. And so what I want to talk about for these last two Sundays for Daniel Plan, last two Sundays as we wrap up this series, is how can we keep this change going? How can we sustain the momentum? How can we keep it long after Lent is over? And for that purpose, I'd like to talk today and next Sunday about four, about, about four identities that sustain change. I want to talk about sustaining change. How do we sustain? How do we keep the change going? A lot of it has to do with how you perceive yourself. It has to do with identity. There's a story that goes back to the 1800s about Queen Elizabeth of England. And when she was a young girl, she was very rambunctious. She fooled around. She didn't pay attention with her studies. And so Queen Elizabeth, as a child, was very, very difficult to teach. And the teachers finally sat her down and they said, Listen, you're next in line for the throne. And if you're going to be queen, you're going to have to focus. You're going to have to study and you're going to have to pay attention. You're going to have to get it together. And when she heard this, little, Eliz uh, little Elizabeth, or Victoria, I'm sorry, did I say Elizabeth? I meant to say Queen Victoria, so this is the 1800s. Little Victoria sat and she thought about this for a while, and then she said, well, in that case, I will be good. I will be good. It was the realization of identity. It was the realization that she had this actualizing vision, that she had this identity and this vision of herself that she knew that she needed to not only change but sustain her change. She needed to keep her change going in an ongoing, long-term fashion. And so identity has a lot to do with sustaining change. And today I'm going to talk about these four identities. If you look in your bulletin, you'll see spaces for that. Four identities that sustain change. And for this, I'm going to read through Psalm 139, the latter half of Psalm 139, verse 13 on. In verse 13, it says, You formed my inward parts. This is the psalmist speaking to God. You formed my inward parts and you wove me, you wove me in my mother's womb. And so that word wove, woven, is quite intentional there. The psalmist does not say you sculpted 
or you built or you made me. The psalmist says, you wove. And that word wove there in the Hebrew, it talks about a purposeful interlacing. There's something that's being knit, interlaced. And there's something about it that's also very warm. I don't know many men that kind of sit around knitting or weaving, not to kind of make this about gender. Typically, it's a very maternal thing, is it not? You think of grandmother weaving something. And so there's this maternal sense about this verse in verse, four, in verse 13. A maternal sense, yes, it's God that is doing the creating. God is doing the creating, but the knitting, the weaving is happening inside the mother's womb. And for anybody here that has received a soul wound at the hand of a father, that's one thing. But to receive a soul wound or a def- wound, this is very difficult to heal. That is very difficult as, as I work with men. important for you to understand you were woven, you were knit, fearfully and wonderfully made. How many of you have heard this wonderfully made? Is that there are several transla- translation. It's the, it's the one we're most commonly fully made. It's like if you have a newborn infant, you're very fearful, you're very respectful, you're very cautious, you don't want to drop the baby. But what does it mean to be wonderfully made? kind of a strange statement. I am wonderfully made. If God is saying, I'm having a wonderful time making Wayne Park. Well, the thing is, in the Hebrew language, the word make or made is not present. It's implied. It's implied. And it's supplied kind of to fill out that sentence because how, what does it mean? I'm fearfully and wonderfully. The second translation possibility, which I think is actually more correct, is I am fearfully wonderful. You are fearfully wonderful. Or you can just summarize that. It's two, two adjectives put together. You're extraordinary. You're extraordinary. That's who you are. Now the third translation possibility, it has to do with conjugation. Of course, I'm not going to get into that. But the third alternative is not that you're just fearfully wonderful, but it could also be translated, I am fearfully set apart. So with great respect and with great Fear and reverence, God set you aside for special purposes. So you hear these three translation possibilities. Number one, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. Number two, you are fearfully wonderful. Or number three, you are fearfully set aside for special purposes. Whatever the case may be, fill in the blank for that first one. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am fearfully wonderful. Whatever the case may be, you fill it in. But the point is, oftentimes, we don't think of ourselves in these terms, set apart, wonderful, fearfully and wonderfully made. Oftentimes, we think of ourselves more along the lines of this story. I have a friend who gave me permission to share this story with you. And uh, he's, he's no one that worships under this roof, so don't worry. But this friend of mine, he is here in Houston, and he is from the Dominican Republic. And um, <clears throat> if you are familiar with, with these cultures, there's different shades. There's different shades. His older brother, his, firstborn, his, his mother's firstborn brother, was very dark, a very dark complexion. And when that baby came out very dark, now mind you, my friend, he's very light complexion, Dominican Republic. His mother is very light. His father is very light. And so once the father saw the firstborn being very dark, he flew into a rage. 
And I'm not going to spell that out. I think the adults know where, where this is going. And he flew into a rage and he fell upon my friend's mother. And by fell upon, he forced himself upon her. And the result was my friend. The result was my friend. In other words, and he puts it, he puts it perfectly, he says, I was conceived in rage. I was conceived out of anger, fierce anger. Now you think about how that's going to mess up your life. When mom or dad tells you, you know, you really weren't, you know, you weren't, you weren't planned, you were an accident, you were an unintended consequence of a marital fight, or whatever the case may be, we have these, we have these identities that are fed to us at such a young age that basically spoon feed us negativity that is not who you are. Now understand that your identity can be told to you by your parent, but it is God who does the forming, the knitting, the weaving within the womb. And so your first identity, and this is important because if you are spoon-fed a negative identity, I guarantee you overcoming that will not only be difficult, but you will live a very negative life. You must redefine your identity from passages like this, from Scripture that tell you, you are fearfully wonderful. You are set apart for holy purposes. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. No, I was conceived out of rage. This guy, my friend from the Dominican Republic, he is one of my closest accountability partners. We share life, to, life with each other on a regular week-in, week-out basis. This is somebody that's getting his life together. He himself has made a lot of mistakes in his own marriage, in his own parenting, but here's somebody, my goodness, that is working it, working it, and he is so much more healthier. He is not defined, and it is possible to not be defined by the negative identities that are fed to us. So the first one, you all got that, right? I am not an accident. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am wonderful, however you fill in that blank, based on verses 13 and 14. But we continue in verse 15. Verse 15, it says, My frame was not hidden from you. I was made in secret. I was skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. That word wrought, once again, it's in the Hebrew, speaks of a weaving. So there's a weaving taking place, intentional weaving. Your eyes, in verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed substance. And in your book were all written the days ordained for me, when as yet there was not even one of them. And so there's this beautiful passage, verses 15 and 16, these um, really remarkable words that talk about hiddenness, that in secret you were made, you were made in secret. I don't mean that kind of secret, like, but you, you were made in God's plan. You were made by God underground almost. And there's a sense where something's stewing, God's creating, He's weaving, He's making something rather intentionally. Friends, I don't know if any of you are a dog lover. I am a dog lover, and I have a, a, a dog that receives so much of my affection at home and stress as well. I think they're very therapeutic animals. And from time to time, my family, we like to go to PetSmart and we like to look at the adoptees or the adoptions. And we look at the various dogs and you can tell which dogs are going to be the ones that are picked up that day. You know what I mean? You can tell which dogs are the ones that are going to be going home 
but you could also tell which dogs are not going home. They're usually the dogs with the funny long tails and the poofy end and the awkward paws, the legs may be a little too short, but the paws are really big. And then they've got <laughs> a muzzle that's all spotted and they've got different color eyes and then the hair and, and is, is all jagged and the ears are a little awkward and, and you, you can just tell that this is just basically a hodgepodge of genetics all thrown in together to create this mutt. And it's a sad thing. You look at that and you say, it's a mutt. Nobody's going to want the mutt. Here's the thing. We are just as discriminating with people. And we look based on their physical appearance or their pedigree or their life. And oftentimes we make the same judgments. Do we not? Not much good going on there. Just a couple of genetics, different genetics splashed together to create. Here's the thing. My frame was not hidden. I was made in secret, skillfully wrought, not accidentally. In the depths of the earth, unformed substance. If you understand biblical theology, if you understand what it means to be made in the image of God, Friends, there are no mutts that are made. Essential biblical Christian theology teaches that there are no mutts made. There are no accidents. Everything was planned. Everything was, everything was created by God. In fact, when you, looked at, when you look at that phrase, unformed substance, unformed substance, what does unformed substance mean? You saw my unformed substance. Unformed substance in the Hebrew, uh, golem, it can be literally translated embryo. My embryo, when I was an embryo, when I was a fetus in the womb, you saw, you planned, you created within the fetus, within the womb, this fetus, unformed. But the Hebrew word golem there for the fetus, it has, it has a dimension of something that's wrapped. So if you want to literally translate this, you saw my wrapped fetus inside the womb. What's that all about? What's that all about? This wrapping fetus kind of thing. See, the thing is today we have sonograms. We have x-rays. We know what fetuses look like inside the womb. We know what a, 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 we know what a fetus looks like, but back then, thousands of years ago, they did not know. They did not know what a, what, what, uh, they did not know what, what a fetus or an embryo looked like. They had examples in nature, however. They had examples in nature. What must it be inside, inside Esther's? Well, maybe the closest comparison, if we're living in you know, six, 7,000 B.C. in Hebrew you know, culture, maybe the closest comparison is, oh, it's like the butterfly. It's like the butterfly, the little caterpillar wraps himself up, wraps. There's this idea of wrapping. Wraps himself up in a cocoon, in a chrysalis, but while inside that chrysalis, inside that womb, there is something happening. There is this untapped potential that is going to grow into something remarkable. So this wrapped fetus is almost talking about a chrysalis. It's talking about a cocoon. It's talking about a butterfly about to come out, spread its wings. This embryo, this fetus, this unformed substance has all of the potentiality in the world. 
all of the potentiality in the world within you. Friends, the second identity that will help you to stay on the road of change and growth is this idea that you're not yet completed. You're not completed. This is a journeying identity. This is a, an identity that is continually growing, to in, growing into your potential. Continually growing and fulfilling your potential because if you adopt the mentality this fixed mentality that basically says, well, this is who I am. I'm a mutt. I'm just genetics splashed together, and that's, that's it. That's just all I am. That's all I'm ever going to be. You will not change. In fact, you will never change. Change will never come. But when we understand that, friends, I am not yet complete. I am this chrysalis. I am this cocoon that is hatching the untapped potential is still being met, then you understand, you understand that change might not happen right away, but slowly, yet gradually, it's happening. How many of you are experiencing real change in your lives? You don't have to raise your hand, but reflect on that. Are you experiencing change? Or are you basically just consigned to say, well, this is who I am. There is no more change. There's no hope for change. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're not yet complete. You're on a journey. We continue with verse 17. In verse 17, Psalm 139, verse 17. Now the psalmist, he turns away from himself and he looks at God and he says, how precious are your thoughts to me. God, your thoughts are precious. How vast is the sum of them. How precious your thoughts. So all this time, it was like God shining a spotlight on man. God looking inside the womb. God making. God is the one that's looking, searching the, the human being. But now the man is turning the spotlight onto God. And God is saying, look at me. Search me out. Try to understand and plumb the depths. Friends, how precious are your thoughts, O oh God? Can you say that? To be a Christian is to be a person that is on a journey, that is seeking to know God, that is seeking to plumb the depths of knowledge, that is constantly hungry and looking to grow in the things of God. One of the marks, one of the marks of Christian revival one of the marks of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life is that you are hungry to grow deeper in God, whether that is through reading, whether that is through uh, therapy, or whether that's through work, or faith, or expressing, or reading your Bible, or prayer. You are seeking to grow. You're seeking to understand the mind of God. But then it says in verse 18, your thoughts, if I should count them, they would outnumber the sand. They would outnumber the sand. In other words, you will never come to a place where you say, I get it. You'll never come to the place where you say, I understand everything that there is to know about God. You'll never come to the place where you say, I get it now. I'm in control. I am God because I understand God. You will never get, what is the, what is the top SAT score now? 1,400? You'll never get a 14, what? 1,600. You'll never get a 1,600 in theology or in biblical knowledge 
or in understanding the thoughts of God because they outnumber the sand. And so what do a lot of people do? I was just uh, reading through Time magazine and I saw, I flipped, turned to a page. Um, it happens every year around Easter. The great studies, the revealed secret knowledge of Jesus. And this great study that was put out about Jesus, I read the curriculum. It was in Time magazine. It was an advertisement. The great cl classes about Jesus and all, the, all the, the syllabus, great stuff, except it was taught by Bart Ehrman. And if you know that name, Bart Ehrman, he teaches at the University of North Carolina. He used to be a Christian. He used to be a Christian. He used to believe until he got to the point where he says, I just can't believe this stuff anymore. And he gave up. He gave up his faith. He studies Jesus only historically now. That's it. It is completely devoid and absent of faith. And that's what happens. In John chapter 6, John chapter 6, there's this controversy where Jesus is teaching and the people say, we don't get it. We don't get it. And so what do they do? They check out. They check out. Friends, don't check out. Don't check out. Don't give up. Because the last words of verse, the last words of verse 18 says, your thoughts outnumber the sand, but when I wake up, I'm still with you. I'm still with you. You know what it's like to, 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 to work out with somebody and they say, man, you're not resilient enough. Or you're going running. You're like, I'm done. I've just done. I've just done. I've ran for five minutes. The Christian faith, friends, requires resilience. It requires resilience. There's going to be multiple points along the journey where you're just going to say, why do I do this? I give up. Discipleship requires resilience. Friends, the third identity that I am teaching today is adopt the identity of a disciple. Don't just be content to come out to church on Sunday, and I'm glad that we're in this place because we're, we're planning more stuff throughout the week and different activities. But don't be satisfied with just coming to a building, worshiping, and that's kind of your thing, and that's it. Don't be satisfied with just a church-going identity. Hunger after a discipleship identity. The discipleship identity says, Lord, I don't get it. God, I don't know why this happens in my life. God, I don't understand the circumstances, but I'm still with you. I'm with you till the end. When Jesus turns to his disciples after thousands just left, he says, how about you guys? Are you going to leave too? And what do they say? No. Where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. The discipleship identity means even when the others have left, you stay. The discipleship identity means even when others don't get it anymore, you are going to persist through in wisdom and knowledge, and you're going to get it. God is going to reveal to you, and you will have an aha moment. But it does not come unless you persist. The third identity, the third identity is one of resilience. It is the identity that says, I am still with you, God. I'm still with you. The only way we change is when we say, I'm not giving up. I am with you, God. We finish with this last, fourth and last identity. And we conclude, I'm going to skip here to verse 23 and 24. The last verses of this Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, by the way, I think, are the, I think it's the payload of this whole chapter. These last two verses are repeated in the front of Psalm 139. If you look at Psalm 139, verses 1 to 3, you see the same words, the same exact words, search me, uh, 
Know me. Know my thoughts. Look at the way I'm living my life. That's what it says in verse 23 20. Search me, God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts. Know my, know my, um, my discomfort. The, the, the Hebrew there speaks of know these unsettled thinkings, these unsettled thoughts. In verse 24, see if there is any hurtful way in me. And I love the way I, this sounds better in, in Hebrew, but see if there is a path of idolatry that I'm walking on. See if I'm walking on a path that is going to lead me off of a cliff or see if I'm walking in a path that is the everlasting way. Lead me in the way that's going to lead to life. This is something that I reflect on. Am I walking in a way today that is going to lead to idolatry or to my own death? Or am I walking in a way that is leading to life? Search me, God. Search me. I pray. I don't know how to pray. Take Psalm 130 and just pray that again and again. That's how you pray. Search. If I'm leading in a self-destruct, if I'm walking in a turn that spotlight on to your Where else over? And I went camping this week. Could cut off a couple, which is such a lesson in futility. This the shame, the shame, the shame. Don't have the ad willing. All right, I'm not pastor. Pastor, I'm not willing. Okay, then say I'm willing to be made willing. I'm willing to. I'm not willing right now. I re- honestly, I really don't want to. I really don't want to give up that habit. I really don't want to become a disciple. I really don't want to give up this part of my life. I really don't want to, but I'm willing to be made willing. And see what God does with every morning. You just get on your knees and say, okay, God, I'm really not willing, but I'm willing to be made willing. You start off with that, I'm willing to be made willing, and that willingness will get you places. It will get you places. I'll close with this last story about an attitude of willingness, an attitude of openness, an attitude that will tell the truth even when it hurts. Once upon a time, it's a true story, there was a man in prison, and while he was in prison, and he knew why he was in prison, he was in prison for armed robbery. It's kind of like a Les Miserables kind of story. He's in prison for armed robbery. And it so happened that the king of Prussia came to inspect the prison. The king of Prussia arrives and goes through the prison and just looks at all and everybody's shouting at, Oh, Frederick the Great, king of Prussia, please release me. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. I'm innocent. And finally, Frederick the Great, king of Prussia, comes upon this one man who was in there for armed robbery. He says, how about you? Why are you in here? And he says, armed robbery, sir. And I deserve to be here. I'm here for a reason. I mean, I did it. That's the truth. And king, I'd rather tell you the truth than lie to you. So search me. This is who I am. Sorry, there's nothing more. Nothing more I can hide. That's who I am. I'm a robber. I'm a thief. That's why I'm here. And according to the story, King Frederick looked at him and then looked at the jailers and he said, let this man, let me get this right. He says, release, release this guilty wretch at once because I will not have this guilty robber kept in this prison where he will corrupt all of these fine, innocent people. Better off being willing. Better off being open. 
and letting the king shine the spotlight on your heart. Better off that way than left to our own devices. Be willing. Friends, in the end, how are we going to sustain change? Talk about the Daniel plan. Man, I thought this was just about eating vegetables. How are we going to sustain change? Number one, by identifying yourself as somebody that is wonderful. Not a mistake. Secondly, by identifying yourself as a work in progress. You're not yet complete. You're not there yet. Man, I wish I could have, you know, kind of... <laughs> Kind of like somebody was sharing a couple of Sundays ago. You know, he's working out, right? Takes his shirt off and he says to his wife, eh? Well, I wish one day I'll get to that point, but I'm not yet complete. Spiritually, I wish I could get to this place where I can kick the habit. Or I wish that I can get to this place where I am a better father or a husband. I'm a work in progress. Don't consign yourself to say, well, this is all I am. I'm not going to try anymore. Third, third identity, I am with you, God, no matter what. I'm a disciple. And fourth and last, I am willing. I am willing. Friends, it is your identity, it is our identity and our self-perception, our self-perception that determines who we are becoming. It is our identity that determines who we are becoming. In closing, I'm going to ask, do you have that prayer of examine? If you can just put that up on the screen. And I'm going to invite you to just have a time of prayer as the worship team comes up and plays quietly to respond back in prayer and to pray through any of these things that we've been thinking through. If you feel like, oh, throughout this Daniel plan, I've not made the progress I've wanted to, that's okay. Progress is the point, not perfection. This is about progress, not perfection. And as this prayer of examine is something that I still do almost every single day, almost every single day, um, I'm still, not ex these exact words, but going through some kind of self-examination at the end of the day. Why? Because I too am on this journey of change. I too am on this journey of growth. And in order to change and to grow, I have to become self-aware. And so on a daily basis, I am praying some version of these words or discussing it with somebody, making sure that God, I am grateful for this day. As I review my day, there are things that I need to notice need. If I was resentful, and if I owe an apology, help me to make it right away. And help me to live a life on a daily basis that I need to be making. And so with these words on the screen, I invite you at this time. We can close our eyes. Or, yes, just speak out. identities. I pray for those in particular here who have carefully woven or knit from the very beginning. They are not accidents. You are not an accident. You are not conceived in rage or out of mistake. You were knit in God's purposes and plan underground. Lord, I pray that there would be a release. I pray that there would be a spiritual release that would have physical ramifications. I pray now, Lord, over this congregation, each person here, that the spiritual, that the identity, that the bondages would be broken so that even with our physical bodies, we'll find that we are more healthier than we thought, that we, that we thought we could ever be. 
I pray that our bodies would be the outward manifestations of the Spirit's renewal inside. And I pray that the transformation, Lord, would be witnessed and testified by all in this room. So, Lord, do your good work now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.